In an ancient Hebrew wisdom book entitled Kohelet, the author makes the declaration that there is nothing new under the sun. And it's a puzzling statement because in one sense it seems like it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, what does the ancient have to do with the modern? What does Wi-Fi, gigahertz, and terabytes have to do with living water, wineskins, and separating sheeps from goats? But in another sense, it is a brilliant assessment of the human story. I mean, architecture changes, fashion changes, technology changes, but that which is under the hood remains the same. On the most fundamental level, the human condition is unchanged. Human history is the story of us being at each other's throats. This earth can be one hostile and angry place. In the time of Jesus, there was much division, even among the same people group, yet all these rival factions hating and fighting with one another. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots, and they had an immense amount of animosity towards one another. But even that animosity was nothing like that which they felt to those on the outside world, to say someone like the Romans. Suffice to say, the world of Jesus was one that was divided, politically, culturally, and ethnically. It's in this sense that you could see that there's nothing new under the sun. We are just as divided as the world of Jesus. I mean, we are constantly at each other's throats. And even when there's nothing serious to fight over, we fight over nothing. I mean, just scroll through social media and find a thread where there's over 15 comments and you can bet that somewhere along the line, an argument broke out. It's been said that it's incredibly difficult to make good friends. And if that statement is true, I wonder if the inverse of it is equally true. If it's, if it's difficult to make friends, is it actually easy to make enemies? Because when we look throughout history, that seems to be the case again and again and again. I mean, remember where our story begins, right? Cain kills brother Abel. There is, however, an answer to all of this the table. Jesus' teachings are filled with images of food and drink and sitting around a table and eating together. For Jesus, the table was not just a table. It was so much more. The table was a place where friendship was made, where family was made. To table with someone was to be in the presence of someone, to commune with them, to have deep, meaningful fellowship with them. The problem is for us, is modern people predominantly are eating alone at the table. I mean, even in an American household, families are only spending about one meal together per week. Parents among children are engaged in roughly 38 minutes of meaningful conversation. Some research shows that you need seven minutes of conversation before you can actually enter into what they are calling meaningful conversation. In other words, we're losing presence we are losing fellowship, we are losing communion, we are losing meaningful conversation. We as a culture are losing the table. So for us, the table is not an image of intimacy, but for Jesus, it was the ultimate place of intimacy. It was the ultimate invitation into a new kind of life that he offered. To table with someone was to befriend them, and a respectable rabbi like Jesus would only invite the right type of people in that day. 
But the controversial and radical thing about Jesus is he gave out an open invitation to everyone. Luke 15 records this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now there's an interesting thing going on in the text. The Greek word for receives here is proxdexami, and it means to receive, but in it is this sense in which you are receiving something or someone that you're looking forward to. There's a built-in expectation. In other words, Jesus looks forward to eating with sinners. Now, can you remember when you were a child and you were looking forward to Christmas? You were waiting in expectation for your birthday party to begin, or maybe just waiting at home for a friend to come over. Jesus looks forward to eating with sinners. This is illustrated then by Jesus with the parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the other one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. To be invited to the table was to be invited into the family. And the radical, earth-shattering, history-altering claim of Christianity was that God, in and through the person of the Son, Jesus, was throwing a banquet feast. And he was inviting people from every tribe, tongue, and The invitation goes out to everyone. And that's why the gospel is such good news. There, there is a problem, however. What happens when you invite people from all these diverse backgrounds and bring them to a table and expect them not only to get along, but to love each other and bear each other's burdens? So picture this. You're going to build a church from the ground up with people from incredibly different walks of life. People who are brand new Christians, but maybe just a few days before, hated each other. That type of thing was occurring in the first churches. We see an example of this in a place called Philippi in the book of Acts chapter 16. We know from the text that there was at least someone there who was a former military sort of general who's now functioning as a jailer. We know that there was a wealthy Asian businesswoman and there was also a newly freed from demonic possession young girl who also happened to be a slave. Now picture being, say, a conservative Jewish man who's a new follower of Jesus, and all of a sudden at church, a, a, a Roman soldier so, shows up. I mean, Roman soldiers are responsible for crucifying your people. The Romans line the roads with your people's suffering. And what Christianity was attempting to do was say, now you're family. You are a blood-bought family. Whatever differences there were, you must learn not only to get along, you must learn to love each other. It's crazy, right? But that's exactly what the gospel is all about. Jesus drawing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and inviting them and bringing them to his table. 
Now getting people to get along at that level is incredibly difficult because remember there's nothing new under the sun. It was difficult yesterday and it's difficult today. The default operating system of human beings is not to make friends with people. We make enemies with people. This was so difficult that even the apostles had a hard time doing this. Jesus tells one of his apostles by the name of Peter to break bread, to share a table with a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile who ate unclean food. So in other words, God was telling Peter, now go befriend and share the table with someone who is considered unclean and who eats unclean food. In order to properly motivate Peter to do this, he has to give him a supernatural dream. Now, even after all of that, Peter still has a hard time doing this. So much so that a different apostle by the name of Paul has to rebuke Peter for not sharing a table with a Gentile. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force a Gentile to live like Jews? Now that's an incredibly complicated section of scripture, but essentially what's going on is this. Peter, through the gospel, had learned to break bread and share the table with Gentiles, people who were not like him. But when his tribe showed up, his, his people of his ethnic origin, all of a sudden, he began to act hypocritically and not want to eat with the Gentile. So Paul has to rebuke him. And what's interesting, what Paul does is he says, you are acting in a way that's not in step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, Paul makes the table a gospel issue. The table means presence. The table means communion. The table means acceptance. And this is the scandalous and controversial claim the modern world doesn't want to hear. When the Bible says Jesus eats with sinners, it means he eats with you and me. We were the ones who were unworthy, undeserving, unfit, but yet the king dies on a Roman cross in order that we might be adopted into his royal family, which should inspire us to do two things. First, it should make us never look down upon anybody because we recognize we were unfit, we were undeserving, we were un unworthy, but yet we were brought in. And two, and maybe most importantly, it should inspire us to invite others to the table because the king saw fit to save us a seat at his royal table and the invitations have gone out. The question is, who needs to hear of these invitations? Who do you know in your life right now that needs to hear of the banqueting table that the king himself has prepared? Maybe now more than ever, the church needs to demonstrate and put on full display to the world what unity looks like, what harmony looks like, what reconciliation before God looks like, and what reconciliation to one another looks like. 
we demonstrate to the world what a family that's been blood-bought and composed of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation looks like. Finally, concerning the table, before Jesus headed to the cross, he gave us one last activity. It was an activity that we were to do regularly and rhythmically, and it was to remind us of his sacrifice and also encourage us to pledge our allegiance until he returns. Now, any idea about what type of activity our Savior would give us? He gives us a meal at a table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us that on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take of the cup. So Father, we give you thanks for the table, for the bread and for the cup, your body and your blood. For it's through your death and resurrection that we sinners are invited to the banquet feast the royal table that you have prepared. Lord, we thank you that you saved a seat for us. We give you thanks this day. We are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.